I actually want to come to the desert sometime. JR's scared. He's scared a little bit. But I'm not scared of cacti. I'm not scared of those things. It's okay. You, know, you ever I, heard of Skinwalker Ranch? That's in the desert. And that's like UFO activity in Utah. I see some weird stuff, man. I, I'm, not, I'm not lying. <laughs> Listen, so I'll, I'll share this. About three weeks ago, I leave my house at 4.30 in the morning. It's dark, okay? I'm sorry. I leave my house at 5. Get up at 4.30, leave at 5. It's dark my whole commute at this time of year. About three, four weeks ago, out in that about 30-minute range where you start heading south, I see a naked dude walking along the side <laughs> of the road oh. in the freaking middle of nowhere. I mean, the middle of nowhere desert, there's this guy out there walking naked. And I'm just thinking, like, I mean, all kinds of ideas went through my – how did this guy end up in the middle of the desert naked? I have no idea, well, but it was – That's going to be the intro to the podcast right yeah. there. <laughs> Welcome back. Process, preparation, performance. Bill and JR are here. we got a special guest tonight. Coach Chris Four has decided to join us. Big, huge name in the football industry. Coach Four tells you exactly that the football industry is about service and service for others. We're going to dive into him in a second, but JR, i got to tell you what happened to me today. Just a little bit, okay? So okay. I'm taking care of a lady in the office today, and all of a sudden she looks up and she goes – Hey man, that football team going to be any better this year? And I'm like, ma'am, I'm here trying to help you with your foot. You know, and she's like, no, you got to understand. I, I taught at Jefferson city high school for 37 years. She goes, I ran the cheerleaders. I ran the concession stand. I ran the dance team, the JX. She, no kidding. Right. I've got a needle in her toe. I'm taking care of her. We're taking (laughs) care of something. And she's like, no, I'm serious. Is the football team going to be better this year? Because I, I really care about that football team. And I'm like, you know what? Football extends the boundaries of that stadium. And it extends the boundaries to the community. It extends the boundaries to your household, just everywhere you go. So here's a lady who's got a bad problem with her foot, right? She's got a needle in her toe and still wants to know if we're going to be better at football this year. I'd love it. I totally love it. So countless stories like that. But uh Let's dive into Coach Ford, but first, Coach, I, I got to tell you thank you, okay, and here's why. A few years ago, I'm coaching middle school football and always have a desire to be a head coach. Not there yet, maybe someday. Um, always have a desire to do that, and I saw all the resources that you have out there at 8laces.org. Thought it was incredible. I'm totally into this stuff because I'm a geek when it comes to all these resources and learning. I love it. JR and I sit and talk for hours sometimes to our wives' dismay about all this stuff. But I see all this stuff on your on your resource page. I download this this database of questions that might get asked during an interview process. I'm looking at steps you need to take, all this stuff. I even reached out to ask you a question. You gave me a phenomenal answer that helped guide me. And I thought, man, this is awesome. This is totally what we tell our kids every day that when you are helping other people and you don't care who gets the accolades, you get them back tenfold. So thank you very much for that coach. And 
and welcome to Process Preparation Performance. How you doing? Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Bill. I, I appreciate that. You know, it, it's uh, loved the story about your patient today because I grew up in a small town. I grew up in a town uh, down in San Diego County called Fallbrook and one high school town. And that's what our town was all about right there. That's where I fell in love with football, you know, in that small town, going with my dad as, as a young kid to the games. Uh, he played football there. My uncles played football there. And I mean, at, every August, you know, July, August, you start walking around town and it'd be like, once we got into high school, you guys going to be good this year. You know, got, we'd be down at Seven Eleven, you know, getting a drink on our bikes and, you know, wearing that Fallbrook football shirt and two, three, four people within the store outside. How are you guys looking this year? You know? And that's, that's the awesome thing about this sport, man. It brings communities together like no other, you know? So uh, I love that story. That was awesome to hear. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad I was able to help you. I don't remember that conversation specifically, <laughs> but, but I'm glad, it, okay. you know, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you found some value in that coach. Yeah, it was definitely impactful. Definitely impactful. Do you mind just telling everybody how that came about? What, what, motivated you to start this whole process to where you're you're helping you know thousands of coaches I, I see the accolades I see the stuff on your website I see the stuff on social media how'd you get started with this yeah I got fired <laughs> I lost my job so it wasn't necessarily getting fired but I, I was at a private school um back in 2006 I actually you know they they kind of recruited me over there uh come be an athletic director head football coach and uh, it was a private school here in Southern California in the hotbed, Orange County, South Orange County, California, uh, right from my private school, you know, where, where I sat, you have, uh, you know, some of the best football in the state, some of the best football in the nation in our backyard at that school. We weren't very good. We we're a small little private school. And uh, I was there for five years. In my fifth year, we had a brand new guy, superintendent, come in. Uh, we won a league championship that year. Our, our uh, athletic department won more league championships than uh, the school. We set a record that year, 35-year history of the school. We won five league championships as an athletic department. Um, but he wanted to, that quote, go in another direction, you know. Right, right. And uh, so, you know, he, he changed out a few different people on our staff. A principal at the school got moved out of there. and and myself. And so, you know, contracts were year to year. So I didn't do anything to get fired. That kind of sounds bad in one way. Um, you know, but he did, he came in, sat me down, uh, uh, you know, on a Friday afternoon, right before a family vacation in March and said, we're not going to be renewing your contract. And, and, uh, we want you to stay here. You do a phenomenal job as an athletic director. <laughs> we want you to stay right. here through July 1st and train our new guy. But uh, we're not going to bring it back, you know, after that. So they went out. Uh, they hired a guy from – guy who became a good friend of mine, a really good dude, um, you know, from the NCAA Division One school, uh, Tulane University, who, you know, walks in to become a coach at uh, – you know, took over from me. I, I, I stayed on and trained him in the athletic director world. He needed no help in the football world <laughs> and, and, and did a very good job there. But, uh, you know, long story short, at the age of 35 years old, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of having to apply for jobs really for the first time in my life. Uh, every move since, you know, before that, uh, 
was, you know, somebody finding me or me knowing somebody and, you know, that sort of thing where my resume, my cover letter, interview prep really didn't mean a stinking thing, you know, mm-hmm. and there I am at 35 years old going, you know, Googling, how do I find a football job? You know, <laughs> uh, I mean, I literally remember uh, putting in something about, you know, creating a coaching resume and everything that came up was about business coaching, you know, and sure. uh, I could not find you guys. I could not find one resource out there, not one. Um, even today, uh, nine years later, you, you cannot find resources out there to help coaches like us three right. with how to write a cover letter, how to put together a coaching resume, not, not a business resume, how to, how to interview and, and, you know, for a coaching job, how to prepare for an interview for a coaching job. So I saw just this big vacuum out there. Um, and I thought, man, if I ever get in a position I can help guys through this, I'm going to because when something happens like that, you know, again, I'm 35 years old. At the time, I'd been a head coach for I think eight years, and uh, uh, you know, not not wildly successful or anything like that. Not going to paint a picture of what it wasn't, but better than average football coach here in Southern California, and and uh, you know, two different stints at a couple of private schools and. And now I'm out of work for, for the first time ever. And you're, you're on an Island. You know, it was, I, I had a lot of job offers to come coach, you know, Hey, come right. walk on out here in California. We use a lot of what are called walk-ons. You know, you're not a, well, like you doctor, you know, you're not, right. you're not in the building right every day. Right. Um, right. So I had nine or 10 of those in my first couple of weeks, but uh, I no like commitment to a full-time job, you know, uh, I didn't sure. have a teaching credential either, like I do now. So, because um, I was in the private sector. So, but anyway, that's the long story short. Was I saw there was a need, but even then, when I saw there was a need, I didn't jump right into it. I just at that time, I also got on Twitter. I started a website, all with the intention of helping me find a job. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know I was like, I want to put ten pages together on this website, coachfor.org that I can send out to principals. Hey, here's a practice plan. Here's my philosophy on hiring coaches. Uh, here's my off season schedule and philosophy. And I thought, boy, if I get 10 pages on this website, uh, that'll be pretty cool to be able to send out, you know, to, to prospective employers. And, uh, you know, here we are 400 articles later and, and uh, <laughs> it just kind of, as I started sharing things on Twitter uh, and then I realized man, I got a real passion for writing, um, writing about sports. And that first year I was unemployed, I, you know, I wrote a book that got picked up by coach's choice. And as I started researching and writing about this coaching world, and then I gained a little bit of following on, on Twitter online because guys liked what I was putting out. I started to realize more and more there's a real need here that, that I might be able to share. Um, you know, there, there's not a lot of athletic directors out there sharing, Hey, here's what an AD really wants to see. Uh, mm-hmm. and so that's kind of, I just fell backwards into, you know, this little side consulting thing that we do. And Chris, I think you bring up a great point here. You know, when coaches go out or, you know, the three of us, we've all interviewed people for jobs. You have to sell yourself. Yeah. And I think people have a hard time doing that because like what you were saying, it, when you have to start at square one, yeah. 
and you didn't know somebody, which is kind of how the world goes around. You know somebody that knows somebody who can get in contact with somebody, yep. and you have to go back to square one and sell yourself. Where, where do you start with that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, and, and that's the secret sauce on the resume building, okay? And, and here's what it is, guys. And I talk with coaches, I mean, for like four months, right, from like November, December, January, February, I talk to – I would, I don't, I don't know. I would say at least five, sometimes 20 coaches a day in this line of work. Right. And, and then, um, I mean, it literally got to be so much. I had to put a price tag on my time and that's why I sell Mm -hmm. a resume service. Okay. Um, and it, it started at, you know, 60 bucks and it's grown all the way to $160. And that's not because I want to get rich off of this. I'm a full-time administrator. Um, but it's, it's a simple supply and demand thing. You know, it, that I, I have, I am too busy with resumes for, for a good two months out of the year. Um, and, but, but anyway, the, the answer to your question, coach, and sorry, getting ahead of myself. I, I love talking about this stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, so many coaches, we, we don't want to brag. That's not who we are by nature. Um, I, I was working last week with a guy uh, played in the summer league NBA, you know, the D league mm-hmm. uh, played at a very prestigious division one university college basketball um, won some championships there uh, coached at the division one level for eight or nine years. And, you know, he sent me his resume. He's a friend of a friend asked me, Hey, will you take a look at this? You know, he's trying to make a move. And I looked and it was, awful uh he did not even have on there that he played you know was drafted in the nba until his third page of his resume and i'm like and and then he didn't have on there he played division one college basketball until the third page of his resume and i'm like dude and then guys i've I've worked with a a, a, probably a dozen you know guys who played in the nfl a lot of those guys same thing it's like they don't even have that NFL experience until the end of their resume. And a lot of t- that's their humility, okay? Right, right. It is what it is. And it's just not knowing how to build this thing. I told every guy in NFL I've worked with, and this guy, this basketball guy last week that I worked with, hey, the NFL shield, that logo, that <laughs> needs to be at the top of your resume because there aren't many guys looking for jobs coaching high school football or college football with that shield that they can put on the resume. Um, same with the basketball guy who had, who had an illustrious NCAA Division I basketball career. Dude, that needs to go to the top of your resume. And, and he said what a lot of high school guys say to me and college guys say to me. And I don't know. It's not about my playing experience. You know, that's not how I'm going to get this coaching job. Or, uh, I don't want to brag. Here's a perfect example. This guy, I, I share this example all the time. It's probably been three years now. A high school coach, just like the three of us, okay? hires me to help him with his resume and he had he he had nowhere on there he made the mistake most coaches make and that's it that is their bullet points read the same as every coach in america okay uh coach defensive backs i'm responsible for teaching secondary play to athletes on a daily basis (laughs) no duh no duh right Yeah. yeah um and so, but this, this head coach, I, we were talking on the phone. I was like, tell, tell me what your record was there this year, coach, as we were trying to explain this idea. He said, oh, we were five and five. 
I said, five and five. Okay. What were they last year? You know, before you got there, he said they were 0 and 10. I said, wow, you took a program from 0 and 10 to five and five in one year. That's something we did out here in 2006. Um, there were two schools in, there were 57 schools in California that did not win a game in 2005. In 2006, there was only two schools out of those who went 500 or better. It's very difficult to do. Um, and this coach goes, oh, well, the, last year they were 0-10. I said, okay, how about the year before? 0-10. I said, wow, you changed them from 0-20 to 5-5 and in one year. How about the year before? He goes, let me stop you there, Chris. They were 0-60 before I got here. Oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> they had not won a game in six years. And I said, Coach, that needs to be your first bullet point. Yeah, The right. first bullet point on your resume under this school is revamped a program, led them, responsible for leading them to 5-5 five and five after an 0-60 run. And I think it was like 0-65, you know. Um, or something like inherited an 0-65 program, won five games in my first year. I said, as an athletic director, you know, I've been an athletic director for six years. I'm currently an assistant principal. So I've been an athletic director or athletic administrator now for, for eight years. Uh, when I get resumes and I put those into piles, it's a yes pile, a no pile, or a maybe pile. If I look at one bullet point, revamped program from 0-64 to five wins in my first year, I'm done reading that resume. That's my yes pile right? Not enough coaches think clearly about, about how to write those bullet points. And, and that's the secret sauce right there. Um, like I said, in, in 2006, I inherited this program that was 2-18 uh, and 18 in two years. We started off 2-0, and 0, you know? So, and we, we ended up going 5-5, five and five, lost two plays on the last play of the game that year. So, uh, I think the most wins they'd had there in, in five years or something like that. So when you read my, my bullet, my resume from that job, that's a very first bullet point they see is inherited an 0 and 10 program, won five games in my first year. That's going to tell the reader way more than responsible for the day-to-day -day operations of a high school football program, right? Right, so, right. And when we think about it in these terms, you coaches that are listening, that makes a ton of sense when you think about that. You know, I get these, these resumes, defensive coordinator, first bullet point, responsible for coordinating the defense. <laughs> Second bullet point, uh, you know, create the weekly defensive game plan. And so what coaches do, and what I did until I was 35 years old and, and ran in and started thinking this way, because um, I'll say that coaches, what, what we do is we regurgitate the job description as our bullet point, right? The job description is not our bullet point. Our experience there and how we made that program better, that needs to be our, how we write our resume, okay? So for instance, at that same school, I was the athletic director. I just told you, we, we set a record there. We won five league championships in one season, okay? That was a 35 year record. Um, the very next school I went to as an athletic director, uh, and so this bullet, this is what one of my bullet points reads there as an athletic director, 
school won three league championships in 10 years, comma, we won six in my first year, okay? So now I have quantified and qualified my experience there. That, that should tell a principal reading that, holy smokes, how did they win six league championships in one year when that school had only won three in a decade? Right. All the same kids. It's all the same league. It's just vision from the superintendent, the principal, myself to revamp that thing, you know? And so that's what coaches have to do on their resume is quantify and qualify the experiences that, that you have had. How have you helped the GPA? You know, again, going back to that school, we won an award for our, in our league for GPA. Um, you know, highest GPA out of 16 teams in our conference. Um, uh, 16 schools in our conference, you know. And I, that's something I tracked every year I was there, our, our athletic GPA. Uh, we had to do that for our, our, our uh, governing body. And so being able to demonstrate how you help that program on and off the field, and that's what you coaches need to hear. A lot of times, you know, if you're trying to move up the ranks and to maybe become a coordinator or become a head coach, every, everybody knows X is an O's part, you know, most everybody. There's some that don't. But most, most. Yeah, yeah, most everybody does. What, what did you bring to me? Let's say I'm a head coach looking for a coordinator or looking for a linebacker's coach. What are you going to bring to that program that separates you from that X and O knowledge? You know, can, can, do you have experience uh, running all the sideline, you know, video stuff? Do you mm -hmm. have experience as, you know, being my, my huddle guy that I can rely on? Maybe you can bring, maybe you can bring something like, you know, m making the program for the team, or maybe you have a, an awesome, unique way to, to raise money, you know? And so you want to look for those things on and off the field, show how you contributed, how you helped make that program better. And, you know, some coaches push back against that and they're like, man, it's about the kids on the field. I, you know, I'm just the coach. It's, but, but if you're not bragging on your resume and building yourself up on that resume, somebody else will, yep. somebody else is doing that. And so the, the resume is the place to, to brag. And, you know, the goal of that resume is to get you in that interview room. And so you, you do it. Now, I'm talking a long time, man. But <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. Right. I, I had this coach years ago, guys. You know, I can tell stories all day on this stuff. I had this basketball. We were, we were trying to find a basketball coach years ago. And I had this guy, and he calls me. He's from New York. And, you know, out here, a lot, of, a lot of folks want to move to California. And he goes, do I have to send you a resume if I can just drop the name of four, four kids I coached who are in the NBA? And I said, uh, yeah, absolutely. We need your resume if you want to be, you know, considered for our job. He's like, what if I just tell you the name of those four guys in the NBA right now? And I said, you know what, sir? I, I could really care less about the four guys in the NBA you coach. And he got real mad when I said that. And he said, what? What do you mean? You don't respect that I've coached guys in the NBA? And I said, look, Roger Rabbit could coach those guys, and they'd probably be in the NBA, you know? You, you don't get in the NBA because of your high school coach. I, I really believe that. I mean, very few guys are going to the NBA because of their high school coach, right? It's because of how they're stinking built. And, uh, you know, so – and that's one mistake I see guys make on their resumes where they'll, they'll list all these names of all league players that they coached or all state players. Those names don't mean much. 
what, what's going to mean something to the administrator reading that is, hey, uh, we, we coached and developed two – maybe you're a secondary coach, okay? We coached and developed two all-state all defensive backs over a three-year period, comma, they had not had one in a decade, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, that tells me – that's not bra – that's kind of – you could say that that's bragging. But that tells me a lot about you as a defensive backs coach. That tells me they haven't had a, a, an all-league or an all-state DB in, in 10 years, and you've developed two in three years. That's how coaches need to redial themselves and think about how to create their resumes. Oh, yeah, 100%. You know, we talk to the kids all the time about you have to be value-added, right? There you go. And, and that value can be in your ability to run, your ability to catch, tackle, block, whatever it may be. But yep. probably the best value added is your value that you add in the school building during the day. And then yep. you come out here and transfer that to the field. You know, we, JR and I have talked to a lot of people and, and I'm going to get your take as administrator and I'm going to go back into the resume stuff because I love it. Um, interesting side note. I have people who come and interview with me all the time for a job in the medical community. And the head of HR brings me down a, uh, brings me down a candidate for a job. Candidates wearing a pair of blue jeans, chewing gum, right? I do the interview out of respect. They leave. I call HR and I go, don't do it again. Yeah. If you can't put on some nice clothes and not chew gum to come and talk to me and I'm a medical professional, first of all, you should have known better. Don't bring them here. Second of all, you should know better. So what I need you to do is go tell them, don't do that for their next job interview so they can get the next one, right? Uh, help them but, out, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to get your opinion as this as administrator. We've heard a lot of times that as goes the football team, so goes the school, right? Because they're the first thing that's starting. As an administrator, as a coach, as an AD, as an assistant principal now, what's your take on that? Well, you know, obviously I've, I've coached football for I think 18 years we're at here. Um, so I love football. And, and as an administrator, I think football – is absolutely the most important sport at the school. And you get, I, I definitely, I've gotten pushed back on that as an athletic director. Now as an administrator, Oh, football gets everything. You know, that's what some people they'll whine sure. about that. Even yeah. when the numbers don't support that because most programs I've been at football program is also raising the most money from the booster club. You know, they got the most active booster club. They, they bring in the most gate. I mean, there's not a doubt. Listen, that, that season I've referred to both times here where both schools where we, you know, set the school record for most league championships won in both of those years. Guess who the first team to win a championship that year was football team. Okay. Right. Football helps to set the tone with those other fall sports and it. You know, I, I told you about that school. We won six league championships in a year, football, volleyball, right in the fall. You just, you kicked off, you know, with two league championships right there. You get that all that excitement going within a school, you know, I mean, let's face it, uh, our math classes are not on the cover of the newspaper. You know, the football, the football articles are, um, and that's good and bad, right? But I absolutely believe as an administrator, you know, look, football is the number one sport in America right now, and that, that trickles all the way down to high school. You know, you don't see the hundreds and hundreds, and in some schools, you know, five or 600 kids showing up. Um, to the volleyball games, basketball games. I love all those sports. Don't get me wrong and don't misinterpret what I'm saying here, athletes and coaches in other sports. But 
football drives at all. I mean, we're, we're seeing some discussion here with the COVID-19 stuff. Uh, you know, there, there are entire athletic programs facing the possibility of not being able to be funded if football doesn't happen in the fall at the, you know, college level, collegiate level. So football, football definitely drives the entire culture of the school, in my opinion. I mean, you'll find, you know, I don't know as much about Missouri as I do California, obviously, but you're not going to find very good total athletic programs at schools without a good football program. Yeah. Good point. You know, um, we, we talk about that all the time and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the point about other collegiate programs. I hadn't even thought about that with COVID and stuff going on. Uh, you know, being, I've been on the school board. Uh, I've interacted with administrators and had to hire teachers and administrators at schools and hire people myself. And unfortunately, you know, sometimes you tell people things aren't working out, but looking, I look at a lot of resumes, probably not as many as you, obviously I'm not doing five to 20 a day and helping people. That's awesome. But, uh, I'll look at them and I see spelling mistakes. Oh, I see, God. I I see things where you you know your spacing is like one here, and then it's two at the bottom because you want to fill the page. You don't want to change the margins. Like you went to this, you went to this extra time not to to change your spacing, but not to spell check it or something. Yeah. You know, and it just drives me crazy. And I almost put that in that pile that says no. I'm not even going to read it anymore. I don't even care what it says. You can't take the time to spell something right. Uh, or if it says you can't call my references, I'm like, well, then they're not a reference. I mean, let's, let's yeah, think about this. There you go. What are the top two or three things when you're looking at these resumes that you either say, absolutely put them in the yes pile or we're not even going to respond. That's, that's a no. You know, great question. First of all, you, you know, you've got 45 to 60 seconds to capture the attention of the reader of that resume. Now that's, you know, that's what I've studied this stuff a lot in the business world. That's what the business world is going to tell you. I don't think it's any different in the high school world, especially when, you know, you're, you're going through so, so many of them in Southern California. When I, when I hire a basketball coach, I'll have a hundred resumes, you know, football at some schools here in California, you're going to get 150 to hundred resumes. We just hired a head football coach last year. You know, now we're a small, a smaller school here in California out in the desert, not a very desirable place to be. You know, we had about 40, 40 applications, you know, when, when you're looking through all these, you don't have a long time. So the formatting, you know, we ask about a few of the things I'm not going to throw a resume out because of the formatting, but I might not be intrigued to read it if the formatting doesn't capture my attention. And uh, so that formatting has to be good. But as far as the content, I'm going to look for, you know, what has this guy underachieved or overachieved as a coach and where he's been, you know, um, has he been at places that should have won and had a long history of success and they got a little worse under him and then vice versa. Has he been at a, like the, the guy we just hired, he just finished up, you know, well, he's wrapping up his first year with us. Um, he won a league championship this year, the first league championship our school has won in football since 2008. Okay, 12 years. We beat our rival for the first time since 2004. Okay, 16 years in a row we lost to our rival. I, I started telling guys last year at our school, it ain't a rivalry. Ain't a rival. <laughs> it's not a rivalry. Okay, but we brought this guy in this year and he won. Okay, because I, I know how to hire coaches. 
And um, he, he, again, we're not in a place that gets transfers. Okay. We had, I think, one football transfer this year, and that's because his parents moved. He's a Marine kid. His parents moved from the East Coast. So our kids didn't change. Our league didn't change. Our coaching staff changed. Okay. Um, but one of the things on, on that coach's resume that you'll see, he took over a program that was ranked 1,050 in California. And seven years later, they were a top 250 program in our state. Wow. So he did some amazing things at that school, totally overachieved. So that's what I want to see. That's the number one thing I want to see on your resume, that you've overachieved. Can you present that? Can you paint? I talk to coaches with this language. You want to paint a picture of yourself with words before and after. Before I was at the program, they were ranked 1,050 in the state of California. After I left or after seven years, they were ranked 262 or whatever it was. You paint that before and after picture, okay? You can't paint that picture saying, I was responsible for the day-to-day operations of the program, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. And so, so, so that's what I want to see. I want to see you overachieved. I also want to see that, you know, you've – you the school you've been at isn't really that important to me, but it does, there is merit, there is merit as to, you know, what kind of school you've been at both sides. If you've been at these schools that have unbelievable athletes and resources and facilities, and you're applying for a job like where I'm at right now, where our school was built in 1960 and the facilities aren't, we just put in brand new field turf, which is nice. But outside of that, you know, our football facilities are not very good at all. And, you know, we're, we're in a school where, you know, it's a one high school town. It's, a, you know, it's not known for having tremendous athletes, um, very tough kids. But, you know, we're, we're not cultivating 10 Division One kids a year. Shoot, we're not cultivating four college players a year, you know. So if you've been at a place where you're doing all, you know, you're, you've got these high expectations, I might see it right off the bat, boy this isn't going to be a good fit for us because it's just not a good match. And then the other side of things, you know, if you've been at, you know, smaller schools all your life where, you know, we have 80 kids in our football program uh, and you've never had more than 30, you know, I don't, I don't know that you might be able to come in and manage, you know, this, it might be too big for you. So those are kind of the top two things I'm looking at on a resume. And Chris, I looked at some of your stuff uh, before we went on air, you know, over the last few days and whatnot. And th- there's some fantastic stuff on there. And one of them talks about cover letters. And I yeah. think everybody that that's ever had to write a cover letter, it, it's hard not to be stock, I would say, with it, for lack of a better a better way to put it. What would be some suggestions you could give people, you know, to, to make that cover letter stand out? Because that may be the first thing somebody looks at. Yeah, I, one of the first things is, like you said, you don't want to be stock, right? One of the third, first things is be unique. This job I have right now, it's, it's interesting. Today I was cleaning out some files at work, and I found the cover letter I wrote for this job uh, that I currently have as an assistant principal. And one of the things I did on there to be unique is I put, you know, three bullet points right in the resume, and, or sorry, right in the cover letter. And I've never, never seen a cover letter come across my desk with bullet points, okay? But think about that. If you saw a cover letter come across your desk or right in the middle of the page, there's three bullet points. That immediately caught his attention, the principal. 
And I even talked to him about that later, you know, after I, we got hired, we started working, got kind of close together and stuff. And, and one of them, it was uh, the phrase student engagement. And then there was a, a big black bullet point right there. And, and then I said, I just a one liner on how I've increased student uh, athletic participation by 17% in one school year uh, with a program we, that I developed and used. And so that's the student engagement, okay? And the next one was athletic achievement. And again, I've referred a few times to two different places we set school records. So that was a bullet point there. And then the third one was uh, academic achievement. And I wrote um, inherited, it was something to the effect of inherited an athletic school-wide GPA of 2.8, increased that to 3.3 over four years. And so he, he told me, his, his eyes went right to those three bullet points when he got that cover letter. And so, so there's a little trick, a little way just to be unique, okay? Um, now, where did I get those three headings? Uh, student engagement, athletic achievement, academic achievement. I pulled those right from the job flyer, okay? Sure. And so in the job flyer, the top three things they said in there is that's what they were looking for, okay? So there was – 10 or 12 things, bullet points they had as to what they were looking for. I took the top three and incorporated those right into my cover letter. Because you're right, a lot of times coaches are, are just taking a cover letter and they're crossing off. I've even had cover letters come to me, gentlemen, with the name of another school. They never even changed that, oh, okay? No. I mean, that's a killer. Oh, when you ask, Bill, yeah. you asked earlier, when do I not yeah. read something? Right. That goes right in the trap. Right in the trash. And I may have missed the next Bill Belichick in high school football or high school softball because I put that right in the trash. But if you can't get that right, I'm sorry. I'm not going to hire you, right? Oh, I agree. Yeah. I agree. So, I agree 100%. That, yeah. That, yeah. I've seen those two. It's totally crazy. Totally yeah. crazy. I, yeah. I, I kind of want to know – you, you talked about it with you talking about student engagement and academic achievement, and you even mentioned the word vision. And I want to, I want to touch on that a little bit. How do you take that vision and transfer it from the super or the admin all the way down to the students? I want to give you an example here in our, here in our town, we just started a new high school, the, the primary high school divided. Now we have two and now you have a whole new identity that you're starting. You have a school that lost half. You have a school that's building. We're surrounded by incredibly good parochial schools and other good, very small public high schools, right? How do you transfer that vision, though, when you're dealing with any school, not just a, a small school or a big school, but any school? How do you transfer it all the way down? And how does the football coach fit into that? So... This program I took over, all I can do is share stories and experience, right? And I think that's developed my philosophy. So this school, this school, it's, I point this way because it's literally a mile and a half from my house over here. School called Excelsior Charter School. Like I said, 10 years, they've won three league championships. The board of directors said, this AD is not doing a very good job. We want, we, we've got to win more than we win here. Our kids deserve to win more than we win. So the board, you said you served on a board, coach. The board, the board said, we got to win more, okay? So it started with their vision. They put that pressure on their one employee, the superintendent, who said, 
We're going to change. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, board. I'll change out our AD. Goes the principal, change out the AD. Okay. Then they, they do this search. The head football coach knows me, reaches out to me. I'm intrigued by the job. He's like, man, this school really wants to win. The board really wants to win. The superintendent is going to do what it takes to keep them happy. They, he wants to win. It's a new principal. He's going to follow the lead of the AD to win. Okay, so you ask, taking that vision from the board, the superintendent on down. Once I knew they were serious, because once they offered the job to me, I then kind of interviewed them, right? Once I could look this man in the eye, the superintendent in the eye, one-on-one -on -one behind a closed door, and I, I, I could tell he was serious about wanting to win, I was sold that, that we can go do this now. And one of the keys was he said to me, I doubt any administrator will be listening to this from that school. But he said to me, Chris, if anybody between me and you stops, stops you, denies you an expense, uh, turns away your vision because you're, you're thinking about stuff we've never done around here, if you get told no between anybody on up the ladder, my door is open. I want you to come tell me. And he said, because we want to win and we believe you can help us do that. I said, yes, sir. So I did that probably three weeks later. They gave me the budget. I examined the budget and I said, this, bud this budget does not match what you guys are telling me you want to do, right? So when you talk about, Bill, that how you take that vision on down the ladder, one of them's right there in the budget. The but a lot of schools budget does not meet the vision of the school to win, or to create an outstanding athletic program. And it's like, yeah, we want to create an outstanding athletic program, but we're going to only give you this much money. So, I went into the superintendent. I'm a guy to come up with solutions. I said, hey, here's the budget you want to spend that you're giving me. Here's the budget that should be, and I gave him line item on exactly why it should be this way. I proved to him that the budget should be this, not this. And it literally, I doubled it. And I went in there and asked him for double the money, but I proved why we should have that. And he, it took 10 minutes and he said, done, consider it done. Well, that really pissed off the assistant superintendent in charge of the money, right? But he, he told me the board wants to win. And so, so then how does that trickle down? That's one way it trickles down, right? The vision of winning trickles down through finances, trickles down now through my – I think the next big thing, Bill, was our hiring process there. I met with every head coach one-on-one, -on -one, and I surveyed all the families and all the kids. And I could tell through that survey and through meeting with all the coaches one-on-one, -on -one, some of them could have just cared less about carrying out the vision of winning and putting more competitive programs on the fields and courts. To me, it's high school athletics. It's not a win-all, be-all, you're going to be fired. No, but we owe it to our kids to put the best product on the courts and fields. So out of those six league championships we won that first year, half of those guys were brand-new coaches to our school. Wow. Okay? Because, yeah, we changed out. We changed out quite a few coaches there because they didn't have that vision to win. When I asked them, you know, I remember one in particular, he'd been there seven years as a head coach, and I said, what do we need to do? What do I need to do to help support your program win more? 
because that's what the school wants to see happen. The, the board and the superintendent want to see that happen. And he's like, oh, don't worry about that, Chris. We're not going to win. And I said in my head right there, I said, You're, this guy's gone. He's done. He's gone. Mm -hmm. you know? so, so carrying out that vision, those are some of the ways. But then also this, Bill, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. In turning around that athletic program, and then the same thing in turning around a football program where I told you we inherited an 0-10 program, went 5-5 five and five in our first year. It's like turning around a battleship out in the ocean. It's, it's one degree at a time, right? When that, yeah, it takes a while. Yeah, what, I don't know. What is he called? The commander of that ship? Um, what's he called? He's not a pilot. He's a commander. Commander. We'll go with commander. Commodore. <laughs> yeah, there we go. When, when that Navy commander says, I want to go that way, I want to, I, we got to turn the ship around and go that way. Those things turn around slowly and they turn around one degree. And that was, I, I told my staff, you know, there at that school, at that football school, or that school we turn around a football program, where we turn around this athletic program, it's it's one degree a day. We're going to turn this around. It might take 180 days, you know, to make this turn, but uh, but that's what we're going to do. What what can I do today to get this program better than we were yesterday to try to meet the vision of the school board to win more? Um, but it, it all takes that vision at the top to then trickle down. So how does that happen? It happens through the AD who's able to have those tough conversations and that kind of communication and, and selling that vision. I'll never forget my first meeting with that staff guys, um, that staff at that school, all the head coaches, all the assistants. When I said, we want to win more, we've won three league championships in 10 years. I want to win three this year. There were coaches in there laughing at that. And I stopped the meeting and I said, you know, I can be firm sometimes. I, I can be a little rough. But I stopped the meeting and I said, if you're laughing, you're part of a problem. You're not going to be around here very long because that's what my boss wants to do is win more. So, yeah, you know, that answer we, your question, Bill? Oh, yeah, perfectly. I mean, it's JR and I have had this conversation. I said, man, culture is a big ship and big ships yeah. turn slow. Yep. And unless you have, calm focused and intentional movements of what you want to do a people don't understand and b people won't see what your vision is they'll just say oh he's he's ranting again he's doing whatever um yeah so I'm, it, I'm writing that down because that's good calm focused intentional <laughs> calm focused and intentional yeah i'm sure i, I still left mean, i'm sure yeah. i still left from somebody else but that's okay you, you um, put that you, you know I'm long-winded sometimes. I don't have all the buzzwords that uh, you, you summed up exactly what I tried to say, you know, in five minutes. You're polished. I'm not as polished. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, that, you're good. That, that is, that's awesome. Call well, I'm trying to, intentional. I'm, I love it. I, I'm trying to interview right now, coach. No, I'm just Hey, I do, I do want to ask this though. I want to flip it on its head. And here's why I want to flip it because we get what we think is our dream job. We're a head coach. We're running a program. We're, we might even be successful, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm sure this question has come up for you. How does a coach know when it's time to leave? Oh, yeah. No, great question. I think there's a lot of ways. I think one of them goes back to what we were just talking about with that vision, you know. Um, and here's a perfect example. At that same school, Excelsior, mile and a half up the road, um, uh, I was only there for two years because that vision all changed. Um, I came in, I was hired in like March, you know, so about, you know, a little more than halfway in the school year. And then I was there an entire school year. That second year I was there, the super, 
uh, yeah, the, let me think about this. I was there parts of three school years. So the end of one school year and then an entire school year. And that's when we won those six league championships in a year. Okay. And then I was there for a part of that next year. But towards the end of that first full school year, I was there. Superintendent who hired me got fired for saying some pretty dumb stuff. It is. Uh, he was a rodeo clown on the weekends. Um, true story. True story. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Out here in the desert. The, super, out, the superintendent. Superintendent. Yep. He was he was a rodeo clown on the weekends. <laughs> and if you went and just Googled, you know, California superintendent oh, rodeo man. clown, he, he made some off-color remarks about Michelle Obama that ended up being oh, you know, no. racist. Oh, that's uh, not good. Um, and he was on CNN, actually. So, oh. But anyway. He got fired, the principal got fired, and overnight the vision there changed. So you remember when I told you, now we're coming full circle, that superintendent told me, come into my office anytime my door is open. Well, he gets fired. When I had to go over a couple of people who are left there and now in charge, that, that changed because that budget that he doubled got cut in half the day after he left because those, those people, also, two people on the board had changed out. So the board politics changed, and that superintendent changed, and that principal changed, and now the vision that I was hired to do, go win, go develop a championship athletic program, that vision went right out the window, okay? And so I knew, for me, it's time, it's time to leave because I'm a sitting duck here with – with a bunch of people that don't really care to win. I mean, these people have been here the last 10 years when they only won three. And so that's one way to know it's time to leave. When, uh, so that's one personal example when the vision changes, okay? Another personal example, um, I was at a school from 01 to 06, okay? Five years, a private school down here called Linfield Christian. Um, my vision was I wanted to be an athletic director, Okay. So I went there in 01 as an assistant coach. 03, I become the head football coach. I really wanted to be an athletic director one day. Um, well, my athletic director at that school was married to the superintendent. So, so I knew, guys, there was no upward mobility for me there. I, I would never become the athletic director. He was the athletic director there for maybe 20 years before I got there. I coached both his sons in our football program. He was a great athletic director. Um, Actually, years later, he ended up, uh, he did end up leaving, um, and he became an assistant commissioner within the CIF out here. I mean, that's how good of a job he was, how good of a person, and how great of an athletic director he was. But uh, so in like 05, 06, I started getting this itch, like, man, and I, I had, I was very close to him. I had great talks with him. Um, and I, I went in one day, and I was like, Scott, I really want to be an athletic director, you know? And he's like, I know what that means. Because he knew that I'm, <laughs> I'm driven and I'm, right, I want to go right. do it. Now he's going to have to find a new head coach, you know. So, right. so uh, we had some really long talks. He wanted me to wait until I, you know, got a little more experience as a head coach. Um, but uh, – and I think, you know, selfishly he wanted to keep me there. But, but that's how I knew personally, like, there's no upward mobility here for me. So I want to be an AD someday. So that's another. So I'd say those two are your top two reasons as to when it'd be time to go look, you know. Um, vision changes. 
and then no upward mobility for you. And that's why a lot of coordinators leave to become head coaches, you know, at other places. Chris, I've got a, a serious one, but I've, I've got a funny comment here. That I, so the last couple episodes, we've talked to you, you're out in California. We talked to a guy named Jerome Watson who's out in La Jolla, California. And everybody keeps mentioning the desert. Like it's okay. this mythical Area 51 <laughs> place. So it just yeah. went through my head here. What is the deal with the desert? Is it, you know, well, I don't know what Jerome said about the desert. What did he say? You remember? Well, he said <laughs> they had to go play out in the desert. And he goes, it's 90 degrees at 8.30 yeah. p.m. And yeah. we got no desert in Missouri. I mean, if, if we <laughs> saw a cactus somewhere, we'd probably have a five-car pilot. But <laughs> – well, I'm just curious, you know, what's the deal with the desert? California is freaking beautiful, man. You know, I, I was born in, in a, a town called Oceanside. It's down towards San Diego. Uh, you know, we lived down there for a while. I was, I was two miles. You drive from my garage to the Pacific Ocean, you're going to be, you know, two miles, you're, you're in the Pacific Ocean. So, and what most people think of California is that ocean lifestyle, right? That beach lifestyle. Everybody in California surfs, you know? And so you got the coast and then, and that's where everybody thinks that you're prototypical California. And then you have, you know, the, the mountains, beautiful mountains here where you go to snow ski and nobody's ever going to say anything bad about the mountains. But then also we have, you know, we've got the harsh desert where you've, you've got a lot of sand and no Pacific ocean and you don't have the beauty of the mountains. It, like you said, it's a lot of cactus. It's a lot of dry, uh, coal. Well, you get the two extremes, you know, uh, May, June, July, August, September, it's where I'm at. It's not going to be less than 98 degrees for all those months, you know? Yeah, it's, it's hot, but then you get, you know, November, December, January, uh, you know, it gets down in the twenties. So, um, it's, it's not, it's not the best place to be. And all those folks, you know, like me who were born over on the coast, they don't think too highly of the desert. So <laughs> it is a tough place. Now the, the kids in the desert, I, I will say, you know, they, I'll offend some people here, but they're usually not as athletic as the kids on the coast or like down in San Diego, Orange County, just not as much, much athleticism, but they are tough stinking kids. You get desert kids who are born and raised in the sand and the, the extreme temperatures. Um, they don't have a problem going to the coast and playing a football game. Those kids coming from the coast to play a football game out in Yucca Valley, out in Palm Desert, where it's, you know, uh, it's 100 degrees at 7 o'clock kickoff time, they, they have trouble with that. So I, I love the desert kids because they, they are tough. And, and uh, they, they come together, you know, because they, they like – they take a lot of pride in their community and, and – uh, so that's the desert. Those, those, <laughs> those La Jolla guys, Coach, I got a lot of friends down there by La Jolla. Those folks, they don't like the desert much. <laughs> I'll tell you, it, it was kind of funny. I was just like, what is yeah. going on with the desert here? Uh, yeah. But on a more serious yeah. nature, uh, you know, some of the things you were talking about with, with the cover letter, the resume, and looking at the job description, you know, I've taught some AP classes, and I remember with teaching kids how to write DBQs and, and these other things, the big thing was you have to answer the question. You yeah. can't go off on a diatribe of what you think the, you know, they're trying to ask you. You have to be specific uh, to what is going on. So specifically here, 
I want to ask you about exit interviews because I've went through them. We've all went through them and, and I'll remember, and if he listens to it, he'll just start laughing. Uh, a coach that I work for, I come in at the end of the season. He goes, do you want to hear your exit interview? I go, no. Why do I get to hear yours? And he goes, no. And I said, well, then it doesn't matter, you know, but we've got a relationship where we've coached together for 12 years and, and we understand each other and how that goes. But when you're conducting these, how, how do you get it? I guess one to, to be meaningful and then two for, for both sides to get something out of it. So you're, I just want to make sure I'm clear. You're talking about the end of the season, right? The end yes, the, sir. Not, not the exit you're leaving the district, but correct. The end of the, season. End of the yeah. season. Like if you're, if you're doing the exit interview with any of your head coaches and, yep. and any of that type of stuff. Yeah. So great. Really, really good question. I think number one, I, every year I've been a head coach and then every year I've been athletic director, I've done the same thing where I surveyed all my kids, you know, back in the day, like, Oh, two, Oh, three, Oh, four, it was on paper, you know, now it's in, in Google, you know, with a Google mm -hmm. form. I use survey monkey in the past, but I love surveying the players. And I think that surveying of the players, okay. That helps you to have those meaningful conversations with the coaches because you can, and I ask about specific coaches, like who was your Pacific, uh, who was your position coach? Boom, they have to write that name in there so I know who we're talking about. And then I have them rate that coach and answer questions about that coach because at the end of the day, if we're not continually getting better, continually pushing ourselves to get better, not only on the field as technical, tactical leaders of this game, but as young men. You know, one of the questions I ask on that exit interview, how did, you know, how did Coach Duke help you as a young man? And if – Nobody can tell me how you've done that, but that's an important part of my program. I'm going to have that conversation with that coach. So I think that that's how you have those meaningful conversations. Obviously, my, my own, you know, perception and my own uh, ways that I want to evaluate you and show that evaluation to you. But I think the real meat of it comes from the kids. What did the kids say about you as a coach on the field, off the field? And then we take that data and then we, we try to write, you know, three things. What are, what are three things, you, three areas you want to grow as a coach over the course of the next year? And then how can I help you to do that? You know, as the head coach, how can I help you to do that? And then that's the same thing I did. You know, I would survey all the basketball kids and then use that to help me have that evaluation of the basketball coach at the end of the year. So I think that's how you really – it takes time, man. It takes time and energy to do that. But if you write those survey questions the right way, and I've got some of that on my website, coachfor.org, go take that, steal that stuff, use it. I stole some of it. I created some of it. But I think those, you know, just as we do as teachers, as educators, you know, those summative evaluations, um, I think that that's how you really make those talks meaningful, coach. And then, and then being able to have that coach write that professional development plan. Here's three things I want to do in the next year and then hold him accountable to that and help some support him, you know, support him and then follow up in, you know, May. Hey, how are you doing on these things? You know, but, but that's how we as head coaches, as athletic directors, that's how we, you know, I kind of answered your question earlier, Bill, how do you, how do you take that vision? That's another way you do that. You help those coaches grow professionally. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, you hit a good point there, which, which is the follow-up. Because yeah. 
you know, for everybody that's in education, it, it's all about the ABCs now. It's, you got the, you know, whatever, the PGP, and then you got these AYPs and all this stuff. And if you're in education, you know what it, you know what it means, but it, it's like, is it work just to do work or you're actually going to be held accountable for this thing and actually show that you're, you're making growth in certain areas. And that, that makes a lot of sense to me how you're doing it. Yeah. By using yeah, those, kids. yeah. We've all had those evaluations where you sit through with your supervisor, it goes in a file and you never see it again. That's not going to help us get our programs better, you know? So, so as head coaches, as administrators, if we really want our programs to get better, we're going to hold them accountable to those things without a doubt. Well, you have to, right? And the reason Absolutely. you have to is because the results that you get out of it are not linear. They don't yeah. just stay here. They're exponential and they just climb. Absolutely. It's, a, it's the same as the ripple effect with everything else. I hate to bring up the virus, but you know, that's how it, that's how it travels. Right. So yeah. the, yeah. the results are exponential. And when, you know, we have this saying in, in medicine that when you go to hire a doctor, you want somebody who's a PhD and the PhD stands for poor, hungry, and driven. <laughs> right. Oh, love it. Love it. So you, you want somebody who's that for a couple of reasons. Number one, you know they're going to bring their self to work early, not not on time. And if you're on time, you're late. Number two, they're going to appreciate where they came from eventually. And the next person who shows up that is a PhD, they're going to take that person and, and show them how to add value to it. So the results aren't linear when you do it that way and when you ask the kids. Because if you ask the kids and they're in a spot where they're not sitting around their friends and they can answer somewhere else, chances are they're going to be honest. But if you're sitting in a room with 50 other teammates, most of those kids are thinking, how the hell do I get out of here, man? I just yeah, want the season. Yeah. Season's over. Yeah. Basketball started. This started. This started. How do I get out of here? But yeah. if they could pick up their phone and hit something, man, they're in. I mean, they, they could do it right away. So I think, I, I think yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, no, good, very good point. And I saw my um, – I used to bring them all in the computer lab at one time, Coach, but I saw my data, my, my surveys coming back better. Um, one year when we – weren't able to get in the computer lab because they were redoing the whole thing. And we just told them, Hey, we sent them an email, go make it happen. Here you go. Back when kids used email, they don't really use it anymore. But um, I saw that our survey, our surveys became a lot more meaningful to us because you're right. They're sitting in a computer in, in a computer lab at lunch, just trying to get out of here. They gave a lot more feedback when they did it on their own. Right. Yeah. So changing I know I brought up the virus. I try, I, well, we're going to do it, I guess. We're going to do it. So COVID just shut us down here in Missouri today. Schools are shut down. Spring sports are shut down. I know a lot of others, a lot of other states have followed that kind of, that kind of platform and direction. What is that doing to the guys who just became a head coach, especially in states where you got spring ball? What is it doing to jobs that are opening? You obviously have a, a greater you know, kind of connection with this. What is it that you're hearing that's going on with that? Yeah, it, it's, it is tough. It, it is a tough deal. I was talking today with a coach who's a brand new head coach out in Arizona and he was asking for some ideas and I'm like, you know what, for the first time in a long time, I don't know. Like this is some, I don't know what you do as a brand new head coach sitting at a high school, not even able to, he's been, He's named the head coach like three weeks ago at a board meeting, but he's never even been on campus, you know, and he's not even allowed to come on a campus. So it's like, man, that is an interesting, interesting place to be. 
So, you know, we, we kind of talked through some ideas on just how to, you know, introduce yourself to the kids. And he's like, man, coach, I don't even, I don't put my playbooks out there. You know, I, I don't, I, I've never printed them for the kids. And I'm like, well, you might need to turn that bad boy into a PDF right now, you know, to, to send out to your players. So coaches are definitely having to think outside the box as to what they're used to. But I do know um, some, you know, right now, my, my school, we're looking for a head cross country coach right now. We've got a head um, baseball coach opening. Uh, right now, I think that's it, just those two. And, like, we're not, you know, we're not moving forward on any of those right now. But the cross country one, obviously, that's a fall sport. You know, we, we would love to have that hired by, you know, May 1st usually, but that's not going to happen now. Um, so it, it is making things challenging for school districts. Um, I, know, I know some guys who are in the private sector, they've already lost their, they've been put on furlough, right. Right. you know, already right. here in California. Um, there's some jobs I know that have uh, uh, been taken off of, we have a system here called EdJoin, okay, a website EdJoin where you go apply for jobs in the educational world and there's jobs that have been, you know, archived meaning they're, they've shelved them right now. They're not hiring that position. So it's a real challenging time for, for coaches who are – I, I feel the worst, guys, for the, the coaches that, like you said, they're brand new to the school. Where do they, how do they even start getting the ball rolling? That's a really difficult time. Right, right. Well, I don't, I don't know why anybody would r- – want to run cross country in the desert that's not me oh it's okay. tough man I tell yeah, you. it's got to be tough but i'll tell you i'll tell, tell you, you if you if you want a baseball coach jr simmons is your guy um, is just he? Just, oh just man he's long time i'm you listen i'm gonna write his cover letter for him right now okay, okay. <laughs> here you go bullet points i've seen him interact with kids there's very few in this country that would be better number two nice. i've seen him act interact with kids that are 12 all the way up to when they're in high school. And when he's like EF Hutton, man, when he talks, everybody listens, they're turning nice. around, awesome. jaws open, taking it in. And if you want somebody who's a technical genius with baseball, he's the dude. So above <laughs> all, he's, he's going to give you interaction with everybody. He's going to give you an entire package. And at the end of the day, the product that you have on the field there won't be anybody better, but you know, listen, I'll let him write his own thing. I know he wants to be in warm weather, but I don't think it's the desert. I ain't going to the desert. All right. I ain't doing the desert. All right, he, has, he hasn't heard enough good things about the desert. Oh right? my God. Yeah, JR, you just screwed it up, man. We were headed. Yeah, to the I know. We were going to warm weather. Don't make me tell your wife, man, that you just had a potential interview and you messed it up. There hey, is. I'll tell you what, though, we, we, you know, it sounds like JR's got a cushy job teaching driving, though. We, we don't have that out here. He'd I don't know if it's cushy. Come on and, yeah, come on and drive with us. Come on out for a week, hop in the car, and uh, we'll, we'll see I'll what your you, opinion I'm, is. Coach, I'm fascinated by that, man. That, you know, California is so litigious. There's no way you could have a uh, driver's ed, you know, going out and driving, driving, teaching kids how to drive during a school day. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. It's it's an experience, that's for darn sure. So it's a little more you than a bargain for. Podcast on that, coach. Oh, geez. It, Tales uh, of the driver's ed teacher. You'd have yeah, to you'd right. have to bleep out a bunch of words, but it, uh, <laughs> it would be it would be quite entertaining for for darn sure. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, listen, I want to talk some technical stuff about football because you have written a couple of publications 
you have talked on the shield punt and jr and i are we are believers we are 100 percent believers jr ran the punt team this year shield there was shield punt that was it man that was it so jr what what do you got i tell you it was it was funny because i'm very analytical to where i took the spacing of it been a triangle and whatnot calculated. Somebody had to be running 27 miles an hour off the edge to block it. Yeah. And Usain Bolt cannot run that fast. And it got to be so entertaining with how people were trying to block our punts. (laughs) Because one week we'd have, they're sending 10. The next week they were sending one. And then, then they try to jump the shield, which that was an experience to to behold. And you know, it, that shield works. I mean, it's a, it's a hundred percent, on the money. I mean, wh- why did why do you think it's so effective? I mean, we know why it is because they can't block it. You know, I I, I had coach. Um, you sound a lot smarter than I am because I wasn't able to figure out that math. But <laughs> year, years ago, I went to one of our math nerds. You know, a tremendous math teacher, AP math guy, and I drew out I drew out you know the shield punt, and I said, I want you to tell me how fast would this dude need to run a forty to get from this, you know, this angle, from this to this, the yardage of that. And, I, and he drew it out, drew triangles, did all this. I'm, I'm not a math guy. And he calculated out. It was about he'd have to run a 2.640 to block that football, you know. So you're, you're yeah. not going to block it from the edge. There's, no, there's nobody who can block it from the edge. I just think, Coach, it's, it's a very, very technical. I've blocked some shield punts, but they weren't running it right. You know, it's if you're running it right, if you can, ha- if you're determined and focused enough to take your steps and run that thing right, it's it's very unblockable if if you coach it right. I mean, it just is. I, I found it in 2002. I became a special teams coordinator. I was at a clinic, and there was an article in a magazine called "Dare to Be Different: The Shield Punt," and. Um, I still got it somewhere in my files, but I've always been kind of contrarian in my thinking. And I was like, different? She, man, I've never seen this. And it was, I, I think he was a, a special teams coordinator at an Ivy League school. Okay, I, I don't remember. Um, and I was like, man, I fell in love with it, that concept and that idea. Um, but I couldn't find film anywhere on it. I couldn't, you know, nothing. And so, but I took it to my head coach. He's like, sure, put it in, you know, go with it. He didn't care. Go with it. And, uh, boy, so we started using it in 2002. And uh, from, you know, I I stopped coaching. My last year coaching was 17 uh, before I got into admin here. From 02 to 17, we only had three blocked, you know, only allowed one touchdown in uh, 440 kicks. Wow. So it's – it works. It's, it's a great system. Yeah, I'm I'm a huge believer in it. Yeah, we were we got actually on Saturday we're watching tape and stuff and one of the coaches who isn't involved in special teams, he like stopped the tape. He's like, What do you got? He's yelling at the shield. He's like, That guy's running off the edge. Why don't you hit him? Let and him go. All all three shield kids are like, Coach, he ain't as fast as Usain Bolt, he ain't getting there. The <laughs> kids go. never yeah. the kid's never yeah. gonna get there. He's like, well, you should be hitting him. He's like, nope, he ain't getting there, coach. He ain't go. getting there. Just let him go. But JR is right. We, it was like week in and week out. We're like, all right, what are they going to look at to 
to try and yeah. try and get to us. And I got to give it to all the kids because they just bought in and believed it from jump. Awesome. And now, was like, this the first year you guys ran it? Yeah. Yes. And now, how yep. many schools in Missouri are doing it? Um, you know, I don't know, to be honest with you, but I think we were probably the only ones that we did it who we played all year. Yeah. Wow. I see, any, okay. I didn't see, see it on film occasionally, but not, boy, not all much. Right. So, you know what's going to happen next year, Coach? Everybody's going to be running it. You're going to be seeing a ton of it. That's, that's yeah. what happens. And, and then what happens, too, is – so the evolution I've seen, um, you know, do, using it for so long is uh, pretty soon, maybe like in year three, you'll start to see where you'll be able to kind of predict what defenses you're going to see. Those first couple of years, it is very, very hard to know what you're going to see. Everybody comes up with all these different ways to do it. And then – they're going to quit doing that because they can't block it. So, like, year two or three, you're going to have just about the same look, you know, all the time. And then that's when you can, you know, you, you'll get even better at it, you know, if you guys stick with it. But, yeah, they'll, they'll see you doing it. And, uh, and then it's like it'll start spreading. I mean, that's how I think at the collegiate level, you know, we started seeing it like 07, 08, we started seeing it. Um, you know, and I remember, I remember real distinctly in 02, in a playoff game, a, a team we beat, and, and that was a very, very good program. And that head coach came over to talk to me. One of those guys, like, I always knew, like, this is a – like, I didn't – this is a guy, like, a respected <laughs> right. head football coach. Right. Like, I can't believe I'm on the same field with him type of guy. And he came over and talking to our head coach, like, where would you guys get this punt? And da -da -da, it's amazing. He's like, oh, talk – there's our coordinator. Go talk to him. And I'm like – yes sir you know like <laughs> and he's like i've never seen anything like it and they put it in the next year you know so yeah, yeah. um no that's a great system it's just uh a lot of a lot of guys coach we're seeing out here i mean i would say in southern california i would say 70 percent of teams run it um wow. yeah so a lot more than what are doing it out there but so many guys could they don't spend the time doing it and it's it's just not it's not good you know. Yeah. What do you think the, the biggest things are that people overlook with it? I mean, I see, I'll see some people put their personal protectors at like four yards. You know, yeah. I'll see some people that they have these big, huge splits in between everybody that they're trying to just space out the field. So now you have too, gaps. Too people, yeah. Gaps. People. What is it that you think after having, you know, done it for over a decade and stuff that yeah. people, what, where's the biggest mistake happening? So these college guys, they get, they get cute and they're trying to get cute and they're trying to split like uh, Michigan, Michigan state. I broke down one of theirs on my website. It was, I believe it was a Michigan, Michigan state game. And it was a huge play, but I can't remember who had the ball. I think Michigan had it. And uh, you know, they got blocked state blocked them or vice versa. Um, fourth quarter. I mean, game changing play and they spread out a guy uh, you know, and that's what these teams are doing is they, they, they take their, what I call the L3. So the left side tight end, they split him out wide as a wide receiver. Guess what? Uh, let's, I think it was Michigan. So if Michigan was punting, Michigan state didn't even go over there and cover that guy. So now they've got numbers advantage in the box and these dudes make millions and millions of dollars and they never brought him in to help cover the guys in the box. So it's these dudes who are trying to get too cute, especially at the collegiate level. Um, but if you're keeping all 11 in there, okay, the number one mistake is that spacing you said, 
Um, no, sorry. Number one mistake is the footwork. So we've had three blocked. Two of them were blocked at the same guy at our R3, the right tight end, who refused, who did not take his right. So the right side is supposed to be taking a right step. Right step. And then, yep. and then banana, we talk banana and collision. Go. You're going to have a banana step and collision the guy. Both times, my right tight end, they were cowards. And at the snap of the ball, just went straight down the field. And now that guy doesn't have to run that Usain Bolt, you know, 2.640 because you haven't challenged him at all. And like one of the times, my dude, he would now he was a backup. And I I took in films Monday, I I took the heat for it because I didn't get him enough reps. It was a thousand percent, a hundred percent. It was a hundred percent coaching because he was a backup and he, the, the dude who blocked it lined up head over him, okay, right on him. And, um, sorry, it's a little outside shade, and he released inside of him, you know, and he should have ripped around him and collided with him. And that was just bad coaching because he, he, didn't, he didn't know what to do. So that, that was my fault. But uh, the other guy knew what to do. He was just being a coward. And you've shortened up that edge now huge. So number one is that footwork. It's got to be perfect. And then number two is, like you said, the spacing. If, you know, that, that Usain Bolt 40, if your right guard lines up, you know, I, I split one-yard splits, okay, on it. That right guard lines up at two feet instead of three, and then the right tackle lines up at two and a half feet, and then the right tight end lines up at two feet. Well, now you've taken away a whole yard, right? So that spacing is critical. When we first start teaching it, I get a fire hose out there. And we show them exactly where you you're lining up, you know. And they always think, man, it's, gosh, I'm so far away, you know, is what they see, because they're used to seeing the offense, which isn't that far away. So, but yeah, th those two things, the spacing and the footwork, are are, are the two key, two key uh, critical issues. Okay. Eventually, we started seeing two guys both in, between the snapper and your R1 or your L1. Okay. And yeah. so, our little adjustment that we came up with was if you're R1 or L1, punch that guy before you go ahead and release, which it seemed to me that's where the vulnerable area would be. Cause it's a, you know, it's the shortest distance between two points. It's that straight yeah. line. And yeah. if that shield gets overwhelmed, especially the dude that's right there is the anchor, you know, uh, I don't know if that adjustment was the best, but what did you guys do if you saw that? Yeah. So at the high school level out here, it was never, it, it was – that was never an issue for me, those two guys in the A-gaps at the high school level. 2017, I went and coached junior college football, and it became an issue quick because those yeah. guys were so much faster, so much better athletes, okay? And and so what I did, I made the adjustment. You still have – if you get two guys in each A-gap, you still have your three guys in a line in your shield, and you have your center. So that's when I would have the long snapper. He would He would have to block. Okay. And so we then it became a numbers a numbers game. Okay, they had they had four guys. We had four guys. I would ask my center, my long snapper, do you want to snap and then block left or block right? I want to block left. Okay, so now he has two. When you number those guys across left to right, just like we read one, two, three, four, one and two are the you know in our left a gap, three and four are in the right a gap. So long snapper has two. My S1 in the shield, that's my guy at my far left shield. He's now getting one. S2 in the shield, my middle guy in the shield, he now has three, which is the first guy 
in the A gap on the right side. And then my S3, I call him. He now has four, four, which is the second guy in that right gap. Yeah, so that, that's the okay. adjustment I made. Yep. That makes sense. The adjustment I made was just to throw the damn ball. <laughs> <laughs> I just said, punt, huh? Yeah, I just said, we're not going to punt. Don't worry about it. There you go. There you go. Coach, this is, this is amazing. I want to ask you a question. We had a poll that we put out on Twitter. You probably – I don't know if you saw it or not, but JR and I are defensive guys. We're on the offensive side now. We love it. But when we were on the defensive side, we were always looking at ways to improve our scouting. And one day we kind of came up with – we believe that there are only three ways to run the football. You can run the ball inside the tackles. You can run the ball outside the tackles. Or you can run option, which has a guy both inside and outside the tackles, okay? So we contended that really there's only three ways to run the football, and there's only five ways to block it, just five, okay? And we can, we can go through those. But our poll question was, all right, for all you guys out there, do you agree or not agree? Well, the poll came back, and not a lot of people voted on Twitter, which that's cool. It's fine. I don't care. But we started getting a lot of messages from people. Like, I'm getting text messages like, you're crazy. What about power? What about counter? What about – I go, listen, man, the ball either goes between the tackles, outside the tackles, or you have a guy in and out. I don't care what you call the play, but that's the only way. So I'm going to ask you. I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to put you in the poll. Yeah. I'm going to let you know we're asking every guest from now on because people didn't – you know, people were too scared. They were those cowards to vote, but then they want to text me something, right? <laughs> so I'm going to ask you right now, yes or no, only three ways to run the football, inside, outside, and option, or is there another way? I, I, I've never heard that, but that makes a world of sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It makes yeah. 100% sense. Yeah. It makes 100% sense. Yeah. So, Coach, this has been amazing. If we ever get the chance, I want to do a part two. I want yeah. to – I want to figure out some way to talk to you more, see how you guys came out of the COVID. I want to hear about how many championships you won. I want to hear about this coach you just hired and how his season was after this. I want to, I actually want to come to the desert sometime. JR's scared. He's scared a little bit, but I'm not scared of cacti. I'm not scared of those things. It's okay. You, know, you ever I, heard of Skinwalker Ranch? That's in the desert. And that's like UFO activity in Utah. Well, you taught, I'm telling you. So right. I, I have I have an hour long commute. Okay, so I live in a, a high desert called Apple Valley, and then I drive over to a high desert called the Cern Valley, which is weird valleys, but in the desert. But I, so an hour long drive. I basically drive thirty minutes east and then thirty minutes south, and I see some weird stuff, man. I I'm not, I'm not lying. <laughs> Listen, so I'll, I'll share this. About three weeks ago. I leave my house at 4.30 in the morning. It's dark, okay? I'm sorry. I leave my house at 5. Get up at 4.30, leave at 5. It's dark my whole commute at this time of year. About three, four weeks ago, out in that about 30-minute range where you start heading south, I see a naked dude walking along the side <laughs> of the road oh. in the freaking middle of nowhere. I mean, the middle of nowhere desert. <laughs> There's this guy out there walking naked. And I'm just thinking, like, I mean, all kinds of ideas – Went through my – how did this guy end up in the middle of the desert naked? I have no idea, wow. but it was – That's going to be the intro to the podcast right yeah. there. <laughs> that <laughs> is – totally, That is awesome. Aliens, that man, is we're not alone. 
or well, not alone. <laughs> yeah, or not, not alone. <laughs> Coach, thank you so much. It's been amazing. I've loved every minute of it. If there's anything we could ever do for you, JR, throw his stuff up on our website. Throw a link Absolutely. up there. Whatever. If there's anything we could ever do for you, Coach, let us know. We're happy to help. No, same way. You know, if I can be of any kind of resource to uh, the coaches there in Missouri and what you two guys are trying to do, I got a lot of respect for for any guys trying to uh, you know take this game, take coaches, help serve coaches that next level. So so good luck to you guys uh, there in Missouri, and please let me know if there's anything I can do. Yeah.